Hello and welcome to another episode and broadcast of Consumer Choice Radio. We're over there on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. One half of your host here, Yael Ososki, at the mic. And I'm joined by my colleague, David Clement, who's uh, fresh from TV. David, good sir, how goes it? It's going well. It is going well. No complaints. No complaints. We well, I mentioned moving that. Moving in the right uh, direction, so... Moving in the right direction is true, and uh, mentioned again that you had a great uh, TV uh, guest hosting gig again, yes. and uh, you were able to talk about some of the some of the topics that we covered on last week's uh, program. Which, uh, if you missed that or you're listening live on the radio, you can go over there to cons- consumerchoiceradio.com. Also, look us up in the podcast index or over there on Apple, Spotify, everything else. You'll find the podcast version of our program. Uh, so yeah, back at the uh, the guest hosting table for television, looking fresh. Got your glasses on, your suit, uh, looking smart. Yeah. Um, ha- how did this go? Good convo. Uh, I guess it was a multi. It was a split convo, right? You had a couple yeah. things discussing. Yeah, two guests talking about the trucker convoy, and I think the biggest takeaway, and I've had this conversation with a couple other people, is the trucker convoy is like the perfect example of how. People live in entirely different worlds where, like, the social media podcast world views things a certain way, and the traditional media world views things in the opposite way. And there's very little overlap between the two. I I was explaining this um, to my dad about how, because he didn't really know who Joe Rogan was, and I was explaining to him how many millions of views Joe Rogan gets per episode. And what it would take, like, primetime CNN to get that many views. Um, like, that's how big he is. But there's a, there's a world of people whom don't have cable. They don't have a newspaper su- subscription. They don't pick up a physical copy of the newspaper. Um, and so they don't consume any of the traditional media. And so I think... Well, the they trucker- get it on, like, Facebook or Instagram, I guess. Yeah, but that's entirely dependent on who your circle is, right? If you have a wide net, then maybe you'll start to see other things. But if you don't, um, you and and that goes both ways um, for social media. It, it it can be very can become very much um, like self reinforcing in regards to whatever your views are. And so, yeah, different perceptions from different people. Obviously, there were some really terrible people there with some weird references or bigoted or racist references. But let's uh, talk about that real quick because yeah. um, this I I'm seeing as sort of the mainstream takeaway yeah. of the so-called Freedom Convoy. Mm-hmm. You know, which is made up of I'm assuming tens of thousands of of people from all you know different cadres of life and. Basically, in the media, all I've seen is that there were some, quote, hate flags, mm-hmm. and then there are these, quote, objectionable, objectionable people. Yep. So flags, okay, there, there's photographic evidence, so there's video. Uh-huh. What, what, what about the, the other stuff, racist or... Because I don't get how... How do they get that summation? Uh, well, I think there were some, some people who, whether they were... Like, this is the problem with something that is is just built out of frustration it's not actually like centrally led um is it some of the people who kind of put themselves forward uh, i I mean quick google of their name and it becomes clear that they have some problematic 
racist views or have been tied. So is this when they're being interviewed by media on the ground? No, it's more like, oh, okay, this person is speaking on behalf of the convoy in Saskatchewan. Who is this guy? And then you look up that guy and you're like, oh, he's a member of a hate group. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's not good. I mean, but that is, I think, statistically speaking across the convoy, rare. Um, it is not the, the, the predominant view. And so okay. I, the way I look at it is I think most people already made up their minds before it happened. And then they sought out or ignored evidence to reinforce um, whatever it was they believed. So people, I'm, I'm generalizing, but people on the right thought it was good and are largely ignoring the problematic the problematic people who were there or whatever. Um, people on the left thought it was bad and are only focusing on the problematic people who were there. And I think... And, I, and to add some complexity and also to... Um go under the covers and reveal that we do talk uh, too much outside of this program, David. Uh, we were both tuned in to uh, Canadian political Twitter last yes. night. And uh, they had a, a Twitter space of uh, basically a lot of Canadian journalists, politicos, staffers, donors. I don't know how you would classify this particular group of people, but generally politicos. Uh, I would. And, I'd, uh, I'd basically say it was like the upper echelon of the conservative world's strategists, and then members of the media, and some former members of parliament and cabinet ministers. So, it was, I was probably it was like the who's who of the back the 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 kind of backroom conservative politics, and then members of the media and a thousand other. Um, people tuning in. So, I mean, it's a really interesting um, way to get a peek at, like, what the conversation is amongst conservatives about what's going on. I.e. people who live on Twitter all day. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, so even there, though, and, you know, you, you say it's generally sort of this more center-right conservative, there, there still was not a unified... Uh, Freedom Convoy all the way, it, it did seem kind of split. Again, it might have been just the people that I was listening to at particular times. Uh, but there's at least one or two people who were like, oh, this is actually very bad for our brand. This is not good. What a dumb issue. And I agree in that the way that it has been framed for much of international media is that, oh, there's a bunch of unvaxxed truckers out there yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who are just causing havoc because they don't want to get the jab. It's like, well, there's actually a higher principle here, which is that a government should not enforce mandates on vaccines, but that is like too nuanced a subject. It has to be, these are a bunch of anti-vaxxers. And it's the same in Europe. In Austria, we have protests every Saturday, sort of near the main square. And in the news media, they just say, oh, you know, there were, yes, there, there happen to have been 90,000 people there, but they're just unvaxxed, you know, kooks, which... Well, it's an easy just placeholder to dismiss everybody. Um, yeah, and you might as well say, I mean, uh, maybe if it was back in the day with the Tea Party, they'd just say they're all birthers yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. Uh, anti-Obama well, racist or something. And this something. is the thing that we got to with um, with the interview that I did. I asked, One of the guests was at the protest, and I, well, what's the core message? And he basically said it's a, it's a, it's a diverse group of people who are all tired of COVID restrictions. 
And lo and behold, that's a good summation. Yeah, yeah, lo and behold, public opinion polling comes out, and in every province except for the Atlantic provinces, the majority of Canadians, when polled, feel that we should get rid of COVID restrictions and have people self-isolate on their own to manage their own risk. It's like, well, okay, I don't think the Freedom Convoy caused the shift in public opinion. I actually think it's a symptom of the fact that I think a lot of people, more people than we would expect, felt that, ah, you know what, maybe it's time to open things up. And I think the Freedom Convoy shifts the Overton window. You don't have to identify with the Freedom Convoy, but they may give you a little bit more breathing room to to feel comfortable saying, yeah, I mean, I'm total, I'm vaccinated, I, I totally get that, and I'm on board with that, but it's time to move on from COVID. And it's like they've given you your opening, if you're in the middle, to express what two months ago or a month and a half ago in the peak of the Omicron wave would have kind of been taboo to say. Um, and so I, I I do actually think this is probably going to have more of a positive effect than people, um, than people think. Uh, there's certainly the negative aspects, and you can't ignore that. But if the general message is that we need to move on with our lives and and move on from covid well there we are this is we're reopening there is this protest restrictions are being um repealed i think it was saskatchewan just got rid of their vaccine pass or whatever it was so it it just kind of feels like we're moving on and I, I i really like this it's become very partisan and i don't like that it's actually less partisan now in the us um so you look at someone like jared polis the democratic governor of colorado and they're like are you going to introduce any more mandates and he's like no it's at this point it's up to you you got to you got to take yeah. your own personal responsibility and let's keep moving so for the uh to create a parallel uh, with what you're discussing with sort of mass movements, mass protests. I mean, I'm reading a book right now, uh, it's The Revolt of the Public by Martin Gurry, uh, that discusses a lot about uh, different uprisings in the Middle East and, and how the elite and political class sort of responded to that. And uh, there's a lot of mention of the Occupy Wall Street, you know, the 99%. And, you know, at the beginning of that, I actually went to Occupy a lot. I went to Occupy Philly, I went to Occupy Tampa, hung out there, actually made friends. Uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, hanging out with a particular crowd at that point in time. So we'd talk about the Federal Reserve and we'd all agree and uh, crypto stuff and uh, government's too powerful. And, and that was interesting, but there was a lot of kooks there. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Tea Party stuff, uh, you know, as a journalist covering it, you know, back in 2011, 2012. There's a lot of kooks there too. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, go to a that's protest. That's the number thing. Go to a protest. I mean, there was one this past weekend, uh, a, bo a boycott, divest, and sanction anti-Israel protest, and listen to the things that are chanted. Um, in some of them, implying that Israel shouldn't exist in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I mean, there's some real anti-Semitism in that group. Do I think that everyone there hates Jewish people? No. 
Um, but yeah, like it's it, this is the trend that we see where um, where crazy people latch on to other ideas all the time. And that's why we must uh, hand out a chapeau to um, conservative MP Pierre Polievre, yep. who uh, had a very good uh, emotional, not emotional, but he had a great retort to reporters, and then also later on the, in the House, uh, in the house of Commons, a uh, great speech uh, where he basically says, you cannot judge uh, the actions of one uh, Justin Trudeau, who was in blackface, uh, he does not remember how many times. That doesn't mean that all the liberals are racists, <laughs> much like the freedom of God, which is which is an amazing and beautiful rhetorical tool because that's all that does is it reminds you of that situation. Yes. Yes, the goal is to create this uh, this sort of equalizer and say, hey, like we shouldn't, you know, judge, uh, you know, whatever a crowd by one or two kooks. Yep. <laughs> Basically, then you're just planted with the idea, like, oh yeah, that happened. And then he talked about, I guess it was the We Foundation scandal or something like that. Oh yeah, or, yeah. Whatever no, it's called. SNC. He's like, just because SNC, that's... SNC blah blah blah. <laughs> And it's like, it, it, I mean, it is a great tool of like, hey, reminder, those in glass houses, like, there's plenty to go after you guys about. Um, and I think the term this. is, uh, we've discussed on this program, is uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Yes. Whereas you use particular rhetoric in order to uh, elicit some kind of very specific response. Yes. Uh, so kudos uh, to Mr. Uh, Poliev, who's a former guest on uh, Consumer Choice Radio, um, who uh, there's there's a lot of intrigue that's happening in the uh, Canadian conservative circles that we can talk about uh, probably yeah. in the next segment. We'll have to get to that um, after the break. It's, uh, yeah, it's, we're getting close. Yeah. One thing, though, David, I, I know I mentioned that I trumpeted my online grocery store service mm-hmm. uh, last week, I think. It was either last week or the week before. Um, just to tell you the reason why I'm a bit muddle-mouthed is uh, I'm eating a nice can of peanuts uh, because the the downfall of these apps is sometimes they malfunction, oh. and instead of instead of sending one can of peanuts, they send about fifteen cans of peanuts to your door. <laughs> so <laughs> you have enough peanuts to feed a small army. I have enough peanuts for all the elephants in the world, and then I also have enough butter uh, to make omelets the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, very inquisitive question uh, from the wife about uh, what was happening there. So yeah, we got much more to discuss on uh, Consumer Choice Radio, guys. You guys uh, keep tuning in. We'll be right back after this break. Thanks so much. And we are back on Consumer Choice Radio. Um, Yael, yeah, we are, uh, just for listeners' sake, because the timing may be weird here, we are we are recording. We do not yet know um, the results of the secret ballot that conservative members of parliament are casting either in favor or against Aaron O'Toole's leadership. So uh, by the time this records, we could be in a scenario where Aaron O'Toole is no longer the leader of the conservative party. We may have an interim leader, a full-blown leadership race, because, you know, we haven't had enough of those lately. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's it feels like uh, like things are start, like the walls are closing in. Walls are closing it, it, in. It, 
The yeah, walls the, are closing. The walls in. are closing. I mean, it's just for obviously for people who pay attention to politics, it's it's sort of like going to the fair. You know, it's it's kind of what what everyone has popped their popcorn for. Yeah, are these kind of of things where everybody's guessing? No one knows what's going to happen. Everybody's got their take. Uh, <laughs> just I think you know, going back and revising what some people might have said two weeks ago, it's like, oh my god, these people were insane. <laughs> But uh, I'm already seeing, yeah, I'm already seeing, you know, on uh, the big Canadian uh, national papers, you know, a lot of praise for some of our former guests. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of different takes about how there really hasn't been much uh, leadership there with uh, Aaron O'Toole as um, the the conservative party leader up there. And, you know, this is, it's interesting. Isn't this strange? We just talked about in the UK, a sort of leadership struggle with the British conservatives uh, I'm pretty sure nothing is happening in Australia with the Liberal Party, which is kind of the conservatives, no. um, even though they've got their own scandals. I mean, the thing that makes this different is there is not a consensus. In the UK, there's not a consensus replacement, in my mind. I don't know um, if there if there's a consensus where it's like ah that person would take the reins. I think, however fractured uh, Canadian conservatives are, yeah, the Brits are way more fractured. Yeah. So where yeah, I, probably I, true. Yeah, my opinion here is that generally speaking, Pierre is the consensus pick. Um, where most yeah, people, yeah, 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 where most people, he's far more fiscally conservative than Aaron. He's, I would argue, just as socially liberal in regards to being pro-choice and voting in favor of banning conversion therapy and things like that. Um, so he's, he's, he doesn't come from what a lot of non-conservative Canadians would view as the scary part of the party. Um, and his rhetoric is different. And I think the most important thing here is the consistency Right, if you were to ask a lot of Canadians, what does Aaron O'Toole stand for? People have no idea. I don't know. Depends on the day. <laughs> Who knows? Like, we actually don't really know what his core message, beliefs, principles are. Where if you can have a candidate whom, even if you disagree, generally speaking, you know in advance of asking the question where they stand on an issue. That's a good thing. Where does Pierre Polyev stand on free trade? Well, we know the answer to that. Where, where does he stand yeah. on on um, on a flat tax? We could make a, pro, a pretty good educated guess. And, True. and you can do that all, all across Canadian politics. And the more consistency you have with that... Um, the better, and 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 I, I'm going back. I'm dating myself now. I go back to before um, when Bernier was a candidate. Before he went crazy, you would have Toronto Star columnists, Globe and Mail columnists, whom are liberal most likely, essentially writing like, "Yeah, we think Max is wrong on some things, but man, is it sure nice to have someone be consistent." You said Max. Hmm. Yeah. You see, um, we would have that. We would have that all the. We would. I would see that all the time, and you'd have like Chantelibert, right? Basically, being like, I don't really agree with Max, 
but this is a different type of politics and the consistency here is really selling yeah it's like the the entire sort of uh, focal point is shifting and there's one person who's trumpeting that and being able to discuss it and he sees more where this is going to go and he's sort of leading the conversation more so than the present party yeah and um i I think there's one clip that um wanted to play just the beginning part uh the clip that you sent over from uh indian news oh boy Uh, (laughs) this is a doozy uh so yeah this is uh what's it called the wyon news Uh, i just want to make sure you tell me you hear that right you hear that? Okay, let me uh, just do the, the remix. We're doing this uh, routing live on the fly. We're doing Different it live. live. <laughs> All right. You should hear it now. Right now. Not funded by yep. Canada's opposition. Yep. All right, let's start this over. So this is from Wyon News uh, about the uh, trucker protest and uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. There's a new trend on social media tonight, hashtag where is Justin Trudeau? It's not a rhetorical question. It's not funded by Canada's opposition either. It's a genuine query of ordinary Canadians. Where is their prime minister? Unfortunately, nobody knows. Trudeau says he has contracted the Wuhan virus, but no one knows where he's isolating. Normally, he would be in his Ottawa office on Mondays. Today, he... Wuhan virus. (laughs) Great job, Indians. He wasn't. He and his family were moved to an undisclosed location. In other words, he fled. Do you know why? Because the white knight of democracy could not handle a protest. Let me show you what's happening in Ottawa. The streets have been taken over by protesters. We're talking about thousands of them, mostly truckers. They're calling it the Freedom Convoy. Some of them are carrying banners denouncing Trudeau. Some of them drove in on their massive trucks. Some of them are not even truckers. They're ordinary residents of Ottawa. But all of them are protesting the same thing, vaccine mandates. You see, Canada has imposed a new rule for entering the U.S. To cross the border, you must be vaccinated. No jab, no travel. But Canadian truckers are not impressed. Some of them are anti-vax. They do not want to get the vaccine. So what did they do? Well, they're truckers. They did what they do best. They hit the roads. Some of them have blocked the major highways linking to the U.S. Others drove into Ottawa to clog the capital. Now, let me make one thing clear. We do not endorse this protest. We do not approve of this cause. Vaccines are your best bet against the Wuhan virus. By not getting jabbed, these truckers are putting themselves in danger. Normal disclaimer. Having said that, what is Justin Trudeau up to? He's the Prime Minister of Canada. His job is to create consensus. If truckers are resisting him, he must reach out to them. Instead, Trudeau fled. Is he in a war bunker? Is he getting a haircut? Is he rethinking the vaccine mandate? Nobody knows. What do you think Trudeau should have done instead? Well, why don't we ask the man himself? Meet Justin Trudeau from December 2020. Around the time when farmers were protesting in India, that Trudeau was full of ideas, how to reach out, how to handle the protests, how to broker peace. He was passionate and proactive in offering advice. Let me quote what he said about India. The situation, he said, is concerning. We are all very worried about family and friends. Let me remind you, Canada will always be there to defend the rights of peaceful protesters. We believe in the process of dialogue. We've reached out through multiple means to the Indian authorities to highlight our concerns. If only we could get this message to Trudeau's secret cubbyhole. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, 
That is <laughs> secret a cubby. boom mean, roasted. Actually, se- monologue. Secret cubby hole is definitely the title of this program. Uh, I mean, the the thing that I love about this is just the international perspective. Uh, like calling Trudeau the White Knight of democracy is such a passive aggressive jab. But it's so relevant in the Indian context, given his comments about when protests were erupting in India. He was very quick to be the defender of of, of the protesters there. And uh, whether or not that was right or wrong, um, the, the host in this clip raises a good point. It's like, well, okay... But then why at the same time is it is the consensus from most politicians? Well, okay, it's time for you guys to go home. We get it. Quit honking your horns late at night. You're keeping the kids up. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, oh. So in India, protest is good, and we will support it, and we'll express our concerns, but not in my backyard. <laughs> I mean, it's a very devastating and brutal clip, and I have to give uh, big props to this uh, Palki Sharma, who is the journalist who had that commentary. Uh, wow, that's uh, it's impressive. I don't know anything about this outlet, Wyon News. I, I looked it up. It just seems to be a general Indian news website, uh, but speaks to a lot of this. And, you know, this is the one thing that makes very ordinary people very pessimistic about politics is just the amount of double speak of hypocrisy of uh this group doing this action is terrible this action this group doing the same thing is you know they're heroes i think a lot of people are frustrated by that and uh that, that's a pretty good commentary but yeah this is really uh changing up the uh, canadian political scene unfortunately we don't really have anything like that in the u.s we haven't seen you know the there's obviously been protests and these kind of things, but I think they're generally the the states have been pretty responsive, and they're still keeping it fairly targeted on like kids in schools, you know. And the only protests that'll ever be covered in the media, by the way, are the uh, the kids who stay home from school because they don't feel safe, and uh, they feel like they they should be locking down more at the schools. I think this is the most disingenuous thing ever. You're telling me that these are kids who no. These kids just don't yeah. want to go to school. <laughs> they just yeah. want to stay home. We this will, is just their out. How often did we love to have a bomb threat uh, or, you know, something that they're doing at the school where we didn't have classes and they wheel in, you know, the TV and we watch some movie? I mean, these or, kids or just don't want to. My all-time favorite was when they were testing the fire alarms and you, everyone has to evacuate the building. You know it's a test. It's not like, a, ooh, is there a fire? They're testing it and... It takes like an hour and 45 minutes to get everybody out, everybody counted, and everybody back in. And all the kids are going, oh, let's maybe just take our time here. No rush. No Actually, rush. we can tell that you went to high school in Canada and I went to school in the States because you say some, you know, some drill practice test and i say it's oh, actually yeah, it's a bomb threat doing... <laughs> it actually yeah, was yeah. a bomb threat which we had multiple times <laughs> yeah you were doing the act not that this is actually a laughing matter but there are schools who do like active shooter drills and that's i mean that stuff well we didn't yeah that we just had a couple of uh the bomb threats and they would send in the police and they would do random sweeps um so there were a couple of legit ones at my school okay. um we actually had like a columbine type dude um who i knew from my gym class who uh yeah got busted 
and had a list and all. It was it was pretty bad, Thanks. not good at all. Okay. So uh, Canadian high school, well, again, Canadian high school's not uh, got its own problems. Um, wow, I didn't think we'd get to school shootings <laughs> and bombings. That's not... Not the cheeriest of manner for Consumer Choice Radio, but... Uh, no, certainly not. No, certainly not. But there's there's a lot of stuff uh, that's been happening in congressional committees. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's happening more on the intrigue, uh, party politics side up in Canada. Uh, globally, you know, we're uh, we're now week one of the, uh, the Austrian uh, vaccine mandate. Uh, but fortunately, David, it has been delayed. Uh, just for a few days, because they have not been able to actually sign the law. <laughs> Why, because everybody has COVID, they're all isolating? <laughs> no, it's because it's this strange system to where they've written up like drafts and drafts of what this vaccine mandate law should be, and they've told all the citizens to get ready, and then the date is supposed to, was supposed to be February 1st, but they just never even got it passed by the committee yet. It's not even signed into law. It's the strangest system I've ever seen. It's very Germanic compliant <laughs> of like, hey, we're thinking of writing this law. And everyone's like, okay, we're already following it. It's like, no, no, we haven't written it yet. <laughs> guys, yeah, guys, we've got to actually get the pens. Very Billy true. Forgot to order we got to get pens. the pens. <laughs> he did. And speaking of pens, uh, speaking of... <laughs> Uh, all kinds of products. David, we've got a great guest for block number three here on Consumer Choice Radio. Will you give us a good preview here in the next uh, 15 seconds? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have Joe uh, Joseph Anadi from the Center for uh, Truth and Science repeat guest talking about some research that he and his team have uh, commissioned. Um, and just always a great guy to break down very complex uh, scientific issues into just a very easy and understandable um, way, in easy and understandable ways. So, stay tuned for that, and thank you again for uh, for tuning in with us. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, we are joined by a now repeat guest, the president and CEO of the Center for Truth and Science, Joseph Anadi. Thank you very much for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So um, the Center for Truth and Science, uh, we've chatted with you before uh, about what you guys do and your mission and, and trying to parse through um, what the science says in regards to various uh, key issues um, that have come under kind of the regulatory microscope, uh, so to say. And the latest report that came across our desk was um, a report in regards to PFAS. Uh, we've talked about this before on the show, but uh, walk our listeners through what the, what the, t the takeaway from, from the report is. Well, the, the, the key takeaway from my perspective is that um, after our researchers, the, the, the researchers that, that we funded looked at the most significant existing studies on PFAS and its toxicity and potential health hazards, is that the key finding is we just don't have the information we need right now to make any definitive conclusions 
uh, or associations between PFAS exposure and negative health outcomes. The better, um, uh, I guess the more encouraging news, probably the more significant news, is that these researchers laid out a very specific plan uh, to conduct additional research, very specific, not just saying calling, hey, we need more research on this. They laid out 10 or 12 different specific studies that need to be done by regulators to get the answers we need to make informed, intelligent, and fair regulatory decisions. So it's really kind of a two-part uh, uh, finding. The, the, the first results are inconclusive about uh, relationships between PFAS and, and negative health outcomes. So we can calm down a little bit from the panic perspective. There's plenty of people out there that, that want you to be very, very afraid of, of PFAS exposure for a variety of reasons. Um, so that's part one. Part two is that here's a very specific way to get the answers we need to develop sound public policy. Yeah, I like that. I like that because it it's not just, okay, well, we've reviewed all of the evidence and everything is coming back inconclusive and kind of leaving it at that. It's saying, okay, well, if we want to continue this search for these answers, here is our list of what needs to get done and, and how, how it should be done. Um, has there been any, I mean, it's still very early. The report is, is, um, relatively new, so to say, but has there been any um, feedback from the folks on the other side of the table who write laws or uh, who look at this from a regulatory perspective? We have not heard anything specifically from public policymakers. However, we have seen a number of, got a, some great feedback from the scientific community that this is the type of research that needs to be done. Um, objective, transparent, unbiased, non-advocacy driven research. So that's very positive news. Um, the timing of this, um, I think, is fortuitous because in the United States, the EPA is in the midst of a massive initiative uh, on PFAS. Uh, and they call it the, the, the PFAS Regulatory Roadmap. And one of the key components of that roadmap is research. And here's a tool we are hoping the EPA will look at and say, okay, we can. Here's a, here's a roadmap for our research component that we can get done in a timely fashion uh, before we start making you know potential regulatory overreach, looking at bans or 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 uh, onerous restrictions or um, you know actions unjustified by the scientific facts. And Joseph, one thing that we're we're starting to sort of reckon with, and we're seeing in real time with uh, the pandemic and vaccines, is just how a lot of these studies are conducted. And one thing that I thought was interesting uh, that's covered here in the paper is is really looking at what are the existing studies that exist, those that have used animals, uh, sort of in vitro studies, and you know we've had all kinds of of different things that have been thrown into the splashy headlines that come from animal studies. Uh, that perhaps we just don't have enough information, you know, about when it comes to to human beings. If you were to kind of simplify that, when we talk about our our current way of doing science, you know, is is there is there sort of a a risk uh, by using or concentrating mostly on these animal studies that we're not getting enough information or it's not accurate enough? Uh, sort of, what is your take on that? Well, animal studies are critically important. 
um, because you know you it, it just it doesn't make sense and it would be impossible to do a a, a study using humans as as guinea pigs in this and exposing them to toxic chemicals. So, you, so we have to rely on animal studies. But what 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 you have to take into account in animal studies is first, animals aren't humans. They don't react exactly alike. There are different, and you have to take into account those differences. The other thing you have to take into account, which is which uh, our the researchers did in this study, is that you have to look at exposure levels. Um, you know, we, we are all um, exposed to PFAS in one way, shape, or form. It's just there. It's in so many different products. But is is you know the exposure level rising to the point of being potentially dangerous? Um, the the our research the researchers don't think that the evidence is there to show that. And when, you know if you're talking about an animal study and you're giving an animal massive doses doses that it would take a lifetime of exposure, um, and and making conclusions from that, there's a potential flaw there in the scientific process that, you know, is going to yield results that shouldn't be the, the basis for sound public policy. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like they may be useful in establishing that a hazard might exist, but that does not mean that risk, ex you, you mentioned the exposure levels. I mean, that is the formula that we have to figure out in regards to if there is a hazard that exists, is there a risk? Um, which is obviously hazard multiplied by exposure, and that's something that's that's so often uh, missing in a lot of these discussions, whether we're talking about agriculture or medicine, Absolutely. or it, it just seems to be the very a very common common theme um, and a major blind spot. I want to I want to just ask you about you mentioned panic. Um, and I saw some some research from Australia, and I'm this is probably outside of the context of the report, but I'm interested to hear your take on this as well. Is in Australia when they basically did some a similar um, review of of health consequences and exposure, um, they noticed that when communities were told that there was exposure, that all sorts of symptoms and medical issues were reported in the in the yeah. kind of self-selection process that the the scientists and, and medical researchers knew had nothing to do with exposure um it was just like the the idea that folks were told that there could be a hazard and all of a sudden they were getting migraines and and right. all of these things that were completely unrelated and they were able to parse through it is that is that something common either in the conversation about pfas or some of the other issues that you've um that you guys have dived into i i don't know if it's directly relatable to pfas but i certainly understand the phenomenon i think we've seen it with covid frankly you know uh, uh these are the symptoms and you know if people think they are exposed so they start developing those symptoms and then tests show that there's not it's you know the 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 human mind's a very powerful very powerful uh tool um and 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 that's why we need you know objective transparent um uh, uh science to help us you know draw the line between psychosomatic effects and actual effects yeah, and one thing that we're seeing in 
I, particularly I think is important when we're talking about this study is, is that it has an impact on policy. It has an impact on what legislators uh, will put down on paper, and ultimately we will live by if we are able to have those debates. And uh, one that is in the Congress, I believe is passed the House, uh, we're looking at, uh, I believe it's the PFAS Action Act of 2021, just to make it uh, related to what we're discussing. And there's a lot of talk about limiting PFAS, about classifying, about uh, different types of incentives, both for cleanup and then also for restricting. Um, what do you think that uh, politicians and regulators should take from uh, this study? And with that in mind, is that something that we could perhaps use uh, to advocate for something much different than this bill that's that's currently in the Senate? I think the message is take a deep breath, gather the facts, gather all the facts, do weigh the risks and the benefits, and then base your public policy decisions on that. Um, rushing to judgment on anything, um, it ends up creating, I think, bad public policy. Public policy that is likely to get reversed in, in, you know, in the next few years, the next administration. Um, I think you have to be very, very careful and pragmatic in this process. Now, we know the, the two original PFAS compounds, PFOS and PFOA, and maybe a handful of other uh, original compounds, which have been, uh, for the most part, withdrawn from the market in some cases decades ago, present some potential hazards, and especially when they get into water supply in large places. If I was a public policy maker today, I think I would I would focus my energies on those acute problems, typically surrounding military bases where there is a lot of firefighting foam used or or waste uh, management sites where there could be leaching into water supplies. There's remarkable technologies being developed that are are one is called a PFAS destroyer that can bring a scientific solution to largely a scientific problem and end up with a very positive public health outcome. So there's a lot of different ways to approach this. Rushing headlong into a into a, a effort to dramatically restrict compounds that are incredibly useful to our lives. I mean, they're, they're, they're more than the coating on your Teflon pan and, and your rainproof jacket and, and uh, stain master carpet. These are, these are items in your cell phone, in pacemakers, and all kinds of medical devices. They, they, um, they make our economic engine run. They, they are a source of a lot of jobs. Uh, there, there's, that's where you get to the risk-benefit part of this. What's the exposure at that level, which I am guessing, and based on the science, is extremely minimal versus what's the benefit? And, and for, uh, so my advice to politicians, in the, uh, as I said at the, at the very beginning of this long statement, take a breath, gather the facts. When you have all those in front of you, make sound public policy and public health decisions. So, so we have about two minutes here before we have to go to break. What was the, I mean, maybe it's that cost-benefit discussion, but what, what is the inspiration to look at an issue uh, like PFAS for your organization, and what does it look like to actually go out and have researchers do the research? So the center tackles issues at the intersection of science, justice, and the economy. That's, what we, that's the trigger. Which scientific issues are, are colliding with the justice system? Justice being civil justice, litigation, and regulatory justice on rules and regulations. 
when we identify issues like that, we uh, develop a what's called a request for proposal outlining, you know, let's take a look at all the science on this issue and see what's good, what's bad, what's missing. Um, we put that out to the scientific community. We get proposals on them. We have independent reviewers take a look at all the proposals, grade them. We want to pick the best possible scientists, non-advocacy driven folks, people that are, are going to do a full systematic analysis of the existing science to say, here's, here's what we have and here's what we need. And, and PFAS was at the top of our list because of the huge regulatory effort and a potential litigation that could be, I mean, literally every person on the planet could be a plaintiff in this, in a case like this. So we wanted to tackle that uh, first um, because it is squarely at that intersection. And we think that what our report is saying that we need to calm down a little bit, take a look at the facts and do this very specific additional research to get the answers we need. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to see how this debate unfolds um as always it's been a pleasure to have you uh, on the show and uh, and to just to see the the great work uh that the center is doing and, and trying to parse through all of that noise so thank you again for joining us on consumer choice radio thank you very much for having me